are listening to Uncharted Pages, the book review podcast where we read and review the War of the Spark novel by Greg Weisman. I am your host, David Wolf, and I'm joined here by... Alan Harrison. Okay, Al, we've got a DAC chapter. I'm excited. We do, we've got a DAC chapter. The DAC, the DAC, DAC uh, I think the return of the DAC. Um, DAC. Is, I'm, I'm, we're glad to see him again. We, we, DAC is one of the two characters we like. Um, I'm glad to see him back. Wait, who is the who's the other character that we we liked? <laughs> um, oh, it's uh, Angrath. Angrath. Oh yeah, I do like Angrath. Angrath shows up a little bit. Yeah, it's actually yeah, it's pretty insane how how well they characterize Angrath using the so few pieces of text, so few lines, I should say. Yeah. So little screen time. So little screen time. That's it. My words are failing me today. He's a big flaming ball. I don't. I think it's. Although he, he doesn't he doesn't really act the way you would expect him to necessarily, so I guess that is uh, a bit of a um, yeah victory for his characterization. Yeah, that's true. He's um he's depicted in arena as being like no fire, no steel, big strong bull man. Whereas like <laughs> in this he's like um in this he's he, this one he feels more like a cop who got caught up in a big job on his day off. He's like, I'm supposed to be home. My family, come on! <laughs> Great, yeah, it's so true. He's like, oh man, I can't wait for the Angrath spit. Okay. Yeah, we 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 we, we, we hypothesized, hypothesized, hypothesized this before. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, yeah, well, maybe perhaps someday in the future they'll use Angrath again. I'm sure. Like we'll we'll go to his home plane or whatever, and uh, on that day we might get an Angrath-centered novel. Oh God! And then magic will no longer be dead. Save magic. All right. What well, it is currently dead as we read this novel. Um, yeah. So the this chapter centers on the mission to Amonkhet to close the planar bridge. Um, more boring battle scenes. Are you up for that? I am. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It, it's um, at, at this point, you're 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 really just um you're really just scanning uh to to scanning through the, or just yeah yeah scanning through these battle scenes um just to um just get through them because. Sometimes he just outright states, this person won, this person lost. You're just kind of looking for that bit of text because, yeah, it's just, it, it's just overviews of battle. Um, what was the line? Oh, there's one line I had highlighted. Um, oh, no, all my notes are a mess. I'll come back to you. All right, so we, we get a little bit of a backstory on Amonkhet here. Obviously, we have this scene set on Amonkhet um, as they try to look for Tezzeret and close the planar bridge. Um Somewhat kind of goes all misty-eyed. She's once again saying saying the Eternals' names as she kills them somehow. Um, we hear about the Hekma. We hear about Hazaret, the final god who didn't die. Um, what's his face? Dak. Yeah, he's good. He came out with uh, the lines of, like, uh, somewhat explains about Hazaret and how she kind of uh, helped, helped the survivors on Amonkhet. And we get a line from Dak where he says, Then where is she now? Cuz we could use a god's help. I just really found that cuz to stand out quite a lot there. It's like yeah, I, I that's yeah, yeah. Go on. It's a very like that's like kind of text speak type thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's like uh, you know, does he refer to Samut as being like three point one four pi? No, like what is what's that other text speak? Uh, a QT three point one four. God. That's more text speak. Well, no, yeah, this cause is is absolutely awful. And um, sorry, I, my 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 notes are entirely gravelled on my page, which are back to normal now, and I can read. Yeah, cause well, cause here was something I had highlighted. Um, it is yeah, it's about to start a sentence. 
uh, it has a capital C. So you kind of feel like it's your first because of the well, we're not in well, because we're not entirely immersed in the novel because it's not very good. But uh, you know, when you're in the flow of reading a novel in this style, you kind of assume because C C U Z is going to be a uh, a name or something because yeah, we see names like this. Uh, and then, like your your first instinct when you see C U Z with a capital C is assume that it's a name before you you think it's like uh you know some kind of a, um, a shorthanded way of saying because. But um, no, no, it's just cause. And like so, then I think like has, has he? Well, he's definitely. Well, I feel like he hasn't used this word before. He probably has said because before or thought because. So why are we getting this now? Or is this supposed to be like does Zach is Zach supposed to have some kind of crazy accent where? Cuz is um, emphasized, but I don't know what that could be. Yeah, I, like I don't get it. Like it was, it's the same problem that I had with Chandra, where like there are writers who do this, who do this kind of thing successfully. Like they'll give they'll give characters from certain geographic locations uh, an accent that you can read on the page. Like I'm, I'm not there. I know that there's a name for this. I've I've forgotten what it is. Do you know? Oh, um, oh, it's uh, oh, it's called. Well, I, I... I'll try to look this up. Uh, on literation, it's word of like literation. Uh, it's linguistic. No. So it's like it's writing in an accent, so that you can, so that the reader can like read it and and imagine that character's accent. Steve, Stephen King does it a lot with his characters from uh, from Maine or whatever. Uh, that's just the offhand um, example I can think of. So wait, I, sorry, does Stephen King do it in his books? I haven't read about Stephen King, but I I have read. Uh, on writing, where I'm pretty sure he tells people not to do it. Really? Yeah, he does it a lot. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking maybe, maybe another author said don't do it. Maybe uh, oh, I, I need to. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna reread that again and then catch me up if, if he did say that. Uh, because I'm also just trying to, I'm also trying to find this word at the same time. Um, dialect? No, but uh, yeah, it basically is. Yeah, I'm sure I'm gonna imagine, can picture it. It's like you have, you have a this article up here has the example from Huckleberry Finn. It's like, oh, Hook, I bust out crying and grab her up the arms and say. Oh, deep food little thing, kind of yeah, that kind of like really. I think probably in Ireland, a good example is uh, um, oh, what's his name? What's the author no one likes anymore? Uh, Two Pints Guy. What? Roddy Doyle. Roddy Doyle. Oh, okay. Oh well, yeah. People, the people still like Roddy Doyle, but yeah, Roddy Doyle is his books are entirely are entirely that. Um, and yeah, before you made a point about Stephen King, this is the reason I'm coming across you. The reason why I'm coming across you when you say Stephen King is because I was going to say, oh, well, Stephen King says to do this. Uh, but now it's realized that he does do this. So he um, quoted the wrong author. But yeah, it's, you know, this kind of thing is seen as, I suppose it, it is quite ubiquitous. It's something I don't like myself. Um, I feel like it is kind of cheating and it's like hard to do well. Well, like, uh, sorry, I, I've just, I found it here. It's called I dialect. Okay. Um, I as in E-Y-E. Um, so I actually quite like it. Um, I, I like to read that way. Because it gives the characters more more character, I guess. Uh, I am a pretty like visual and aural person, so like when when I read a book, I do really kind of I, I read quite slowly because I kind of imagine the scenes cinematically, if you will, a lot of the time. Um, so I, I actually like when authors do this because I can I can hear the characters' voices a lot better because I can you know approximate it to things that I've heard in real life. But here it feels like it's it's used very very sparsely, only for like one or two words, and the one or two words that it's used for are always very very modern, which just is very jarring to me. 
So it's only a couple of characters and it's only for certain words. So I just feel like there's no point in it. Just take it out. Yeah, that, yeah that's true. Yeah, the fact that it's just a single word here and the fact that it's like we're coming across it for the first time. It's like, yeah, why why is this here? But, um, yeah, definitely, I definitely agree. Um, that's also, I, I, it's something I, yeah, my, you personally like it, I personally don't like it. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but I guess we can both agree that, uh, yeah, if you're going to do it, either do, go all in and do it or um, <laughs> or don't. Yeah, definitely. Okay, what else have we got here? Do you have any notes? I mean, I don't, I don't really have actually too much to say about this chapter. Not all that much happens. Although, actually, the, the, the fight that they have with Tezzeret is, dear God, it's really awful. Yes, yes, yeah, so, yeah, that's where it shows up and, and, and they do fight. Um, and again, again, it is it's just very, very sloppy. Um, okay, so Karen is here. Uh, so, so Karen is having a movie and Dak felt sure uh, he'd fall. And then Tezzeret congratulates him. Good work, Planeswalkers. This will be quite the setback for the dragon. Um, this, this is after they've defeated him. Um, so it's like, oh, after all this effort, it's like they've done nothing at all. It's like they're highlighting how, how pointless this side quest was. I mean, they they did still have to do it. I mean, I mean that's it. Yeah, yeah. Tezzer so, wasn't gonna wasn't yeah. gonna stop doing it himself because, as he says, he's he's scared of Bolas, so he's gonna do his bidding until there's a good excuse not to. So once the planeswalkers have actually shut off the planar bridge, that's his excuse to be like, oh, I am out of here. Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's a very better way to interpret it. Yeah. Um, I think it's. I I so I think it felt like that. Greg wanted some kind of zinger for Tezzer to end, or to Tezzer to end the scene on, and kind of has gone with this. Um, where it's like, oh, sorry, you know what? I actually, I, I've, I've read into this wrong. That'd be quite a setback for the dragon. It's, it's probably supposed to be not sarcastic, uh, and he is probably happy. Okay, so no, this is good. Right? We'll, we'll give him that. This, <laughs> well, this, this, I, I don't fine. even know. I don't even know if it is that good because actually, now that I think about it more, I mean, what's to stop Tezzeret from from doing that? Like from from just leaving. Once he's in control of the planar bridge, and then like he's backstabbing Bolas at that point, but I mean, whatever. Like it comes out to the same thing. Like basically, why doesn't he just leave if if he is happy with Bolas being defeated or coming closer to being defeated? Then why didn't he just not do the planar bridge thing? Because he's not on Ravnica. He's not subject to the Immortal Sons spell thing that's keeping all the planeswalkers on Ravnica he can just feck off if he wants so I don't understand why he's like so happy for the planeswalkers who have defeated him when he he actually just could have left anytime he wanted yeah that's yeah that's a very good point because I guess we we have Liliana bound by her by her contract to to um yeah, to Bolas which is why she can't flee or she can't get away um presumably my husband he's afraid of Bolas wanted him like he's if he's a planeswalker <laughs> a lot of places he can hide yeah, and like so maybe there's you could say that like maybe he like because Bolas can like read people's minds or whatever, so maybe he wants to be in the clear in terms of if Bolas does end up winning and finds him, then he wants to be able to have his mind read and be not you know not have any guilt for failing. But I think that that's probably number one. It's it's too far thinking ahead. And number two, I don't think Bolas would particularly care either way. If you have failed, then he doesn't really care why. He doesn't care if you betrayed him or if someone just beat you. You're useless to him now, so he'll probably kill you or whatever. So I don't think it would really matter in the grand scheme of things. And even if his mind was read, then like he clearly, once he's defeated, he's happy about that. And he's like, okay, this gives me an excuse to leave. So if his mind was read somewhere down the, down the line, 
And Bolas was like, oh, well, you were clearly happy to be defeated and you didn't even try to fight back. So that's just as bad as, as just leaving yourself. So I just, yeah, it's a, it's a silly, silly scene that does not make sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, kind of, I, I, I think that I mean, maybe there is more to Ezra's relationship with Bolas, but <laughs> maybe not. My, sorry, I forgot to say my uh, my subtitle for this for this chapter. It's, uh, I think I've missed a few chapters as we were going because sometimes I didn't take notes, but uh this one is mystic mission because the the word mystic is repeated like five or six times over like three pages or something like that. I might be exaggerating. Oh wow, Ooh, that's good. But it it's quite good spot a few times. Um, I like that. If I if I skip this chapter name, uh, I'll give it. A, I'll be uh, worth a few zenos. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the line I laughed at later. That is it's something like out of Rick and Morty. Uh, so it's this is my first. This is a. Um, Dak notices a portal on Tezzer's chest. The, the line is, the small portal in Tezzer's chest seemed to, project, seemed, to be, seemed to be projecting the bigger bridge through which the Dreadhorde marched. Such a thing would be would be worth a few Xenos enough to pay off Jadash twice over. Um, what's the <laughs> what's the currency in Rick and Morty? Is it speckles? It a few speckles. It's like, um, I guess throwing in just a made-up, <laughs> casually throwing in such a ridiculous made-up currency name. Uh, in the middle of this, you know, essentially an action sequence, uh, just came across quite comically to me. Um, yeah, that a is. sequel can be called a handful of Xenos or a few Xenos more. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you now when you say the word mystic was mystical was repeated a lot, was this in relation to the way um, their magics kind of work, or the way they're when they when they planeswalk? It's, it's kind of described as like the actual um. Yeah, I suppose it's, it's kind of a point I made. It's like the act, kind of auras which the planes walk through are, are always kind of spelled out to be very, very different from another one another. Uh, is that kind of close to what you're what you saw with mystical? What I mean in terms, in terms of like I suppose yeah, uh, it's a lot of the, a lot, basically a lot of time is given to describe um, uh, the maybe, maybe I can just actually find the actual line. Uh, my notes I just kind of went and rant about how the whatever planes walk planes walk or whatever planes walk or planes walks. Uh, they kind of do it in like an aura that kind of suits their type of magic. So I think. Oh yeah. Um, I want to say Dak does it in I think it's purple smoke. Yeah, a few, a few times we see we see him do it in purple smoke, and purple smoke, purple smoke just seems to be his thing. And um, as as far as described like as a, as a mystical aura, and it, it, it comes up in this in this chapter. Um, but it's like, oh, <laughs> like I wonder like how often we have like Karns is described as being like a metallic metallic ping. Um, I think here we see Tezzerets. Uh, which is something similar, but it's it... Tezzeret is a buzzsaw. A buzzsaw, yes, exactly. So it's like the, the, the Tezzeret picked that because he thought he thinks buzzsaws are class. Uh, I mean, where <laughs> kinda... where are these people seeing buzzsaws in this world? <laughs> that is an excellent point. Um, I mean, yeah, I thought <laughs> there's not really much we, we can do to fix that. Uh, yeah, that, that is that is that is pretty bad. Um, I mean, like, yeah, so like yeah, last time. on Ravnica, they do have like contraptions and electricity and stuff like that. So maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Buzzsaw just sounds like a very contemporary word. Yeah. Um, because it is. But yeah. Yes. <laughs> it literally is. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I can hold on. I can. Okay, so it's like I can give you some mystics. Yep. All right. So this is just before they attack Tezzeret, I think. Um, so Karn, who could move rather stealthily and smoothly when the situation required it, slid up beside Dak. First of all, what's that about? He's a giant metal golem. Yeah, are, are they trying to say... I felt like maybe, maybe happened elsewhere, or they're trying to say that Karn can move more um, more stealthily and smoothly as his giant golem-like manner would. 
think you, you, you wouldn't think he could looking at him because he's a big going man. It turns out he can. But then it's like, why? Like, what? <laughs> why does he need to be able to move stealthily? Why? Why can't he just be a giant? You know, like what's his name? The thing from Fantastic Four. He's already been characterized as smashing stuff. So yeah, like why and also how? Like what? Like I just because you say Karn can move stealthily when he wants to that i have to just believe that okay whatever all right well then we go on to the yeah part. yeah so uh dak uh opens a pouch on his belt releasing a small mechanical silver hummingbird a gift from saheli rai karen took mystic control of the elegant device and flew it towards tezzeret it hovered before the planeswalker's face easily getting tezzeret's full attention easily but as he reached out with his metal hand to crush it dak attempted to take mystic control of Tezzeret's entire arm. Oh, that's so bad. So it's not only Mystic, it's Mystic Control. It's two separate sentences, one after the other. I feel and there's two different characters doing it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's another one. Do, 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 do. Uh... Um, a Mystic gesture. Uh, this is Javier Tezzeret. Uh, meanwhile, rose to the feet. His chest seemed to be sh- shouting, shorting out, throwing magical sparks in the air before him. He groaned and struck his metal arm into the gaping hole, forming a mystical gesture to seal it. Yes, that's it. What is a mystic? I'm sorry, a mystic gesture. What, what's a mystic ge- gesture? Is that like a? I don't know your Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. hail Satan. Yeah, thrown, thrown up the horns. Pinky mystic gesture. Pinky finger. Yeah, <laughs> pinky pointer. Yeah, or the shocker. No, I don't know. Yeah, I do. This is. But uh, they, they, they have a. I, I also just I love the line where so uh do do so that he 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 um. They have the little hummingbird thing, and it says, Dak was quite aware his sway over the thing couldn't last. It didn't have to. Tezzeret roared as he finally regained full command of his limb. But by that time, Karn had flown the little hummingbird right into the portal inside Tezzeret's chest, where it exploded. And exploded is in italics, which I think is just, like, childish or something. Like, do I need to yeah, yeah. italics to tell me about an explosion? Yeah, it's like... Yeah, I thought it's for emphasis, emphasis on explosion, but like explosion, it's, it's already a powerful word. And it's not like you're using the Hadex to get the sound of explosion through the word, like word explosion. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, well, this, the way this, this, this phrase kind of makes you picture like uh, Greg Wiseman telling us, or a child telling us a story. And then when you get to the word explosion, they kind of move their arms up in the air and go, explosion, where it exploded. Yeah, this would be this would work very well as an audiobook if it was read by like a seven year old. <laughs> Tesred was sent flying backward. That's, that's what happens right after the explosion. Dear God. There's a, there's another part here that I thought was like kind of weird and out of tone and childish and whatever. It's uh, just after Tesred leaves and then mm, so blah 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 him out of the way. I don't recognize anything of that kind here. He laughed and before even Samut the Swift could react he planes walked away vanishing in a buzz uh, a buzz uh, of blue silver sparks to come to some other plane yeah so same same line as the as the buzz saw uh they give samut a full title samut the swift which i don't think i've heard that before in reference to samut so it's it's like not a title that we know already and i get that he's trying to emphasize that oh samut's really fast and she couldn't even catch him before he fecked off but uh I just think it's a very heavy-handed way of doing it. Yeah, and it's um, I, I did a quick control F search. Yeah, it looks like this is the only time it's used, and it's like 
yeah, first of all, so has, does Dak know somewhat more now than the reader does? Do they have like Renee chatting on the way here? Uh, and she's like, oh, they used to call me Samuel the Swift. Or they call me Samuel the Swift. Because <laughs> I'm really, really fast. Or is he just naming her right now? But um, it, it kind of seems more like, then it's like <laughs> that he's like, oh, that, that girl's really fast. And hmm, Samut, you know, has a bit of alliteration going on with the word Swift. I can't call her Samut the Fast because that's just silly. So Samut the Swift, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. So he's just stored it away in his mind there. You know, break it out when it's appropriate. But then, like, here is this is an instance where she fails to be fast because uh, Tesla advances vanishes before she could react. Um, and this is before Samut the Swift could react. So, this is, uh, th- this is an example of Samut being uncharacteristically slow. Uh, yeah, we gave her the title Samut the Swift for this. <laughs> yeah, juxtaposition. Uh, oh, yeah, it's poetry. And I'll keep the readers guessing. I feel like what did it happen earlier in this book that it was described that all like because I know it's a thing in magic that all planeswalkers planes walk differently. So, you know, we've had lots of descriptions in this book of like the 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 visual effect that happens when when the planeswalkers leave the plane to another plane. But yep. I feel like it's definitely been mentioned in the lore of magic somewhere before that some planeswalkers take a lot longer to planeswalk. Like some of them have to like concentrate for a few minutes or whatever to do it. They can't just do it instantly. But I feel like all the characters in this book have been doing it instantly the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, haven't haven't just read this book um, and not much else to the Loria. It it I wouldn't be led to believe that a planeswalker would take, need any effort to planeswalk. Um, I I that's, that's probably a detail. I was nearly certain. Did you think it was this book? I was nearly certain that 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 was said in this book at some point. Okay. Oh, it was said in, it was said in this book. That's pretty bad. I don't recall it, but I could be wrong. I remember. Um, yeah, because I, I, I definitely in the short stories it, it was more difficult. Um, I think it's like when they when they go to Alanke for the first time, it's like because they're going to a plane they've never been to before. It's like they get watch. Like it's a long process of of them planes walking uh, that we see. Um, but yeah, here here it just seems to be like um, yeah, the Spanish they're gone. It's kind of like it's kind of like in the latter Harry Potter books when. And a lot of Harry Potter movies as well, which I think it's very more emphasized in Harry Potter movies where the characters are suddenly able to um, apparate and disapparate. Um, I remember, I think, I think it was my sister who saw them and she followed the, followed the movies but hadn't read the books. She said that a whole time during the last, Harry, or the last two Harry Potter movies, she was just thinking like, well, but how come they can just teleport now? How come they never did that before? And yeah, it's in the books is all very bad established that you can't do it in Hogwarts because of all the, the spells and stuff. But um it seems to be poorly established there, and uh, I kind of get that same. I get that same kind of feeling here. It's like, oh, let's just say they could just do it any any time they want. Now it's fine mm. because the story requires it. Yeah, it does kind of seem that way. It's like um, in the end of the, like the last couple of seasons of Game of Thrones, there where in the in the first couple of seasons, it would like every journey was a big ordeal. It would take them ages to move around. You would have whole plot points based on the fact that, like, we can't get our army from here to here in such and such amount of days, and then by the end of the series, it's just like, oh, just take the dragon; it's fine. Yeah, and then what was it they call it? The fans are calling it a little fingers uh, flu. Oh, what's what's it called? Harry Potter the flu system. Uh, oh, Harry flu something. They were little fingers time traveling flu system. <laughs> from fireplace to fireplace. Flu network. Flu network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The little fingers flu network. Uh, I think I think it's I think yeah even in the earlier episodes of Game of Thrones and, and the show, um, 
we do start to see them the, the kind of the 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 writing kind of slip in that way but yeah little finger was the one that's teleporting from from like city to city uh between two, two different episodes and i think i was one of the things for a long time the fans were like oh it's you know there could be months and gaps in between each scene we don't know uh but then as it went on more and more characters just started teleporting across the kingdom and uh yeah so it's <laughs> it just got worse and worse as yeah i guess it's more pressure to, to bring the story forward yeah um i mean like yeah, so it's, you can kind of you can kind of understand it because it's like journeys are when you need a character to be in a certain place to interact with another certain character you're just like i don't really give a shit how they get there just put them there unless something super interesting is supposed to happen on the journey then just you know bring them there um and that's fine uh like usually that happens in movies and, and books and whatever you um the, the interesting part is when the character leaves a place and when the character arrives at a place and you don't really want to hear that much about the in-between. But sometimes the in-between is important and sometimes it's established as being important and it's good when that is kept up rather than forgotten halfway through. And here, I guess, it hasn't so much forgotten it halfway through as it was just never really introduced to begin with, even though it's in my mind that it was, but uh, I'm not sure though. But anyway, then then they, yeah. go, on to, they go on to meet Hazaret. And this kind of uh, brought something into, like, kind of clicked something into place with me, uh, because Hazaret speaks in bold and italics, uh, which is quite quite a choice. Uh, and Hazaret also refers to herself in the third person, like the royal we. And that this is stuff that Nicobola started to do earlier. So I can kind of, I can kind of accept that now. The way he like kind of mid mid-chapter switched into that kind of mode of speaking because now we're we're talking here to an actual god like the god of this plane and Nicol Bolas is like becoming a god or, or starting to see himself as a god so I can kind of understand what's being done there with uh you know show, showing his his transition to godhood in terms of like the way that he's talking or the way that he's thinking um now that we have an example of another god in the story talking yeah yeah exactly so it's, it's kind of this is established as the way uh god speaks but now Bolus, the way Bolus speaks when he's when, he, when he's becoming god it's in capital letters and italics whereas hazard is in bold and italics do you think this is some kind of symbolism as to and uh, the nature of their godhood well nicobolus is just always shouting right <laughs> maybe yeah yeah um i mean like uh, at least i'm i shout in my mind when i read his chapters because that's the only way to read it I mean, I think this technique, the technique with Hazard works a lot better. Um, kind of makes the voice stand out. Yeah. Um, I, overall, I didn't have much problem with this scene with Hazard. It's kind of fine. Uh, I thought it was funny that Obnixilis kind of like nopes out. He gets bigger and bigger throughout the battle for some reason. I didn't really get that. That was I just thought that was funny. And then he's just like, ah, <laughs> now we're on this plane where I don't have to stay. Goodbye. And he's gone. And then we get a, a replacement for him in the form of Sarkin Vol. And they all grab Hazard's spear. Because they're like, oh, maybe this can kill Nicobolus for absolutely no reason. We don't know why. Let's go. Yeah, that that sounds good to me. Um, and, yeah, it's got to take the word for it. Um, yeah, I guess so we kind of see kind of Dax Intercontinent come up here when he sees um, Ponzi and Nicobolus just noping out of there. Because I guess, yeah, Dax's original plan was to get the hell out of there once um, they saved, only once they completed their mission. Um, so, yeah, so, so some of his. Okay, he. He kind of has you know, a revelation of sorts uh, upon seeing this, um, upon seeing Obelix's leave. He's like, hmm, maybe I won't leave. Yeah, and he, he kind of gets that 
a thought or or his his doubts um confirmed or not confirmed i'm not sure the way to put this like hazaret speaks to him in his mind and is like oh you're good you're a good person do some more good things fight real hard there and she says kind of something yeah but I know. she says something very ominous to him which obviously spoilers we we do know that dak in fact does die because that has a uh, that has been spoiled already in the cards uh Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but for the people who are just... I don't think there's anybody just reading this book without playing Magic, probably not. Or reading this book and listening to this podcast, I can't I can't imagine. Uh, so I assume everyone listening knows that Dak dies. Um, and she... I think, yeah, I suppose, um, yeah. I suppose at that point, it's he. It's not in the book, it's not in the cards that we know he dies, it's from the trailer. Is there, is there any cards depicting him? Oh, you're right, that's, that's true. The trailer, the trailer is what showed it. Yeah. I, I think... Pretty much everyone has seen that trailer. It's a pretty great trailer. Yeah, trailer is very, very good. But at that point, I mean, there's no, each of these 36 Planeswalkers has a Planeswalker card uh, for them, but Dak Faden does not, even though Dak Faden has a strong yeah, presence in, in presence in, in this book, in this story. So that kind of alludes to like a big disconnect, disconnect between the people designing the game and the cards and the way the cards are laid out in the game. Um, big disconnect between them and whoever decided where the story goes. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I get the feeling that Dak's death... I mean, I, I don't know yet. You've finished the book, I haven't. Um, I get the feeling that Dak's death could have been many different... Like, I feel like any of the Planeswalkers really could die. And Dak was probably just kind of randomly selected, almost. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the way it feels, for sure. Yeah. And I kind of, I think, especially this interaction of has right now, makes you think... Like it kind of makes sense if he didn't die because he he seems like he does have to. I know it's like he's been selected to to um to be something more than just a thief. Well, I mean, he's kind of never really been used extensively in Magic, so it kind of feels. And he, he despite that, he was kind of still a popular planeswalker because of the whole greatest thief in the multiverse thing. Like that's a, just a fun line. So even though he's quite a popular planeswalker, he only has one card in the game. And now he's dead, so he's probably not getting any more cards unless there's some kind of flashback thing. I don't know. It just seems like a bit of a waste. Yeah, <laughs> especially since we like his character so much, so much more than the other people characters. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm gonna hold out hope that his his end is uh, noble. Okay. Even though I've seen the trailer, but you know, we'll we'll see. <laughs> in the trailer, he literally dies in the background. <laughs> yeah, nothing. <laughs> nothing. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is a. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I won't go into it now, but it's it's not great. All right, well, back back to the actual events of the chapter. They they take the spear and they feck off and like Karn planeswalks with it, which I thought was kind of. He seems to expend some effort to planeswalk with it, and I'm like, can planeswalkers do that? I'm not sure. I know that they can't bring organic matter with them. I guess I guess the spear is not organic matter, so it's fine. But it is gigantic, and. Even though they're like, oh, what could we defeat Bolas with? Hazaret, maybe give us your spear. Hazaret is a giant god. Her spear is absolutely massive. She has to just put it on the ground. Karn can't lift it even to Planeswalk with it. He bends down to touch it. So who are they planning to hold this massive spear to attack Bolas with? They don't currently have anybody of those dimensions to uh, to attack him with this gigantic spear. Yeah. Because... Um, <laughs> I, I, I I don't I don't give anything away, but I think it's it it's that's not really given to be an issue later on when they actually use it. Uh, I mean, obviously, because 
otherwise they, they obviously have to have a plan about it but like what when they look at like if if i imagine myself in that situation and we're like oh what could defeat him blah blah, blah. oh maybe this spear like for absolutely no reason they say maybe the spear and like the spear is not is not talked up in this novel at all like maybe if you've been playing magic and you know about Amonkhet, then you know the Hazaret spear is a big deal but even you know i i did play magic in Amonkhet, and i don't know like i know that the spear is cool and whatever <laughs> it kills the noble warriors to make them into uh or to later have them made into the eternals but i didn't think that it was particularly capable of killing nickel bolus and so then yeah they have this massive spear and i'm like oh well i mean we could try the massive spear but at the same time how are we gonna use it physically how are we gonna lift it up to throw it at bolus or whatever i guess they could get somebody who has some kind of telekinesis powers because there's no rules with these things anyway so they can just fucking do whatever they want yeah that's definitely true yeah um yeah so it's <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, you, you will see how to use it, but it de- definitely, um, it is not apparent they have a plan right now, and the way they use it is something that they definitely have not anticipated at this point. Um, I mean, there is just a Troy, I mean, something that's kind of catching me is that very shortly to this chapter, and a few chapters from now, there's a throwaway line that, sa- throw that says that uh, Karn and Angreth are using the spear to burn down Eternals. Um, but, I mean... We get more actually using. I mean, I'm presuming that's just like the spears lying on the ground and they're firing fire out of it. I don't know. Hold on, we'll have to see. How how does the how does the spear have the ability to fire? It's not a cannon. Uh, this is the next Dark Fading chapter. We'll probably see it in, in probably see it next week. Uh, uh, it's the line. A minotaur named Angrath had lit up Hazareth's spear with flame, and together he and Karn were using it to incinerate more of Bolus's dread horde. And then we have the classic trademark uh, um, Greg Weissman qualifier at the end of his sentence. Uh, so we're using it to incinerate four bolts dread horde, comma, three or four at a time. <laughs> then later on, it is Chekhov's spear, spear is used properly later on. Um, but yeah, we, we won't, get, won't get into that, but it's... I don't think it really counts as Chekhov's spear if it's introduced 60% of the way through the book. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Um... Okay, so, right, we've spent far too much time in this chapter. Let's talk about Vraska. Yeah, the next two chapters are, are very short, at least shorter. A little bit. Uh, yeah, so the next chapter is mostly Vraska leading, like, Ral and Kaya and whoever else is there through the tunnels in order to get towards Bolus, aid the fight. Not entirely sure what their purpose is, but they come across... <laughs> they somehow stumble across Ajani and a bunch of planeswalkers who are trapped inside a building and manage to get into the sewers uh, with them. But uh, most of this chapter yeah. Vraska like self-flagellating in her mind. We also have the my 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 title for this chapter is uh, the return of the urchins, even though the word urchin is not yes. directly referenced. <laughs> I know it's like they have children. We'll get to it, I guess, and we'll go through chapter chronologically, but yeah, they have children. And special attention, they're not named orphans, but they're told, we are told that their parents are not there. That we know one of their parents is, the parents of one of these children is dead, are dead. Um, so in a way, Greg has shown us that these characters are orphans without telling us. Hmm, that's good. Growing as a writer. Yeah, he learned. Um, but then what he didn't learn, is the, again, he follows the trend of having an, an absolutely terrible first line for every chapter. Uh, the first line of this is the monstrous Gorgon in the ridiculous pirate costume 
led the others through the Golgari tunnels. Oh, gee. tunnels. And it's like, I mean, if your job is, if you're a guard, you're not going to refer to your uniform as being a costume. Yeah, she's... This is the clothes she's wearing. The, these seem to be, like, her thoughts. Again, I'm going to harp on about the indistinguishability of uh, the character's thoughts and, and the narration. Um, they're kind of intermingled here, but it seems to be somewhat describing her thoughts, and she's like, oh, I'm wearing a ridiculous pirate outfit. I mean, like, is is a pirate outfit ridiculous? I mean, I feel like the it hasn't really been well described to us. Like we said last time when she arrived, it's like, oh, she looks like a pirate. Well, you know, describe that to me. Don't just tell me and let me fill in. Because, like, if you just say pirate to me, I'm going to think, you know, Jack Sparrow, of course, like most people. And if a character in this world is dressed somewhat like Jack Sparrow, the only part of their outfit that I would think is like in any way ridiculous would be the hat. And even then, that's not that mental. Yeah, exactly. Everything else, everything else is just very, uh, very in in sync with like yeah, the kind of you know whatever other stuff pirates wear, like yeah, you know belts and and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Pirate pirate clothes, uh, with the exception of uh, the hat. Is very normal clothes for you know this setting. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, what if um, I mean, you know, if if I just after watching the movie Captain Phillips, then I start reading this, you know, when I see the word pirate, I'm gonna think it's entirely different. You know, I'm gonna imagine, <laughs> you know, her wearing like a, a you know baggy cargo shorts and uh, an orange vest and uh, holding a machine gun. I mean, it's it's I, I'm I'm not told that I'm wrong thinking that we're just told it's a pirate costume. Very true. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and then again, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, this this just what happens since this uh, group of the party bump into, yeah, Johnny and all the other guys. And it's kind of like a, kind of a vague sense of surprise when they both bump into each other. Uh, very much reminded me of the scene in um, the Christmas special of Father Ted when uh, the priests are trapped in the um, the laundry section of the uh, of, of Ireland's large laundry section. section. And uh, as they're wandering through, they just bump into, like, another identical uh, this is very kind of comically shot that you know, you know one party on one side bump into identical party on the other side. They're like, oh, oh, you're here. Uh, that's what this came across like. They're like, oh, here, here's another party of people similar similar to us. Yeah, the the similar bit in Shaun of the Dead when they come across yes survivor party who is exactly the same as them. <laughs> All the same character archetypes. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of comical to just imagine a Johnny's head poking down like upside down into the sewer and being like, hey, hey guys, what's up? Yeah, and it's yeah, and then speaking of lion's head, so Rascal refers to Johnny as being lion head, um, lion head to without without a second, lion head's face vanished from the opening. Um, but at this point, it's already established what his name is, right? Mm. Oh, maybe not. Ooh, I don't know. I was sure that was that. I, like I don't know if Raska knows a Johnny. Yeah, no, I mean even even just in this chapter. Uh, Mm, no, I don't think in this chapter it was. Okay. Oh no. Okay. No. That's yeah. Goldman. Ralph forgetting Vras- Gold. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Step forward. Is that Goldman? He said in a fairly loud whisper. So yeah, she she does know at least part of his name. Uh, but then she refers to him as lion-headed man later. But I mean, I think that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Hey, well, she would have thought Goldman was his actual first name rather than surname. But, yeah. He introduces himself. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he introduced him. So they they must not have known each other before. So yeah. Um, so during this meeting, there is a line which I've highlighted. Uh, this again is just like it's kind of similar to Liliana line we saw before. Uh, so they're in the middle of talking, um, and then Storov approaches Rask from behind, 
and whispered in her ear. The lich's magics kept her in constant contact with the erstwhile, and she had news. It's like, oh, by the way, here's how she gets this information that we're going to get now. Yeah. It's not even really much information, to be honest. It's just like, oh, the Golgari are saving all the all the urchins and the... What what did we call the other people? The like the ones who are not urchins but are bystanders? Were they bystanders? The citi- the citizenry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The citizenry. The citizenry citizenry are being rescued by the Golgari. Yeah. I mean it's not really like the citizenry have been kind of somewhat ignored for like since the start of this uh of this conflict, really. Like they were only they were only important for a very short time, so I don't really see why there's even any need to talk about how they're getting away from well, unless there's some kind of massive explosion later that blows up a huge amount of buildings or something which there may be i don't know yeah i mean it's almost like they yeah i feel like it would, it would make sense just to not have them escape and just be like yeah there's a big death toll but this war isn't that sad um maybe it's just to then i guess you know, have something for the golgari to do i think that's literally what it is yeah yeah like oh golgari tunnels escape tunnels that makes sense put that in there I mean, speaking of escape tunnels, they, they get down this tunnel from wherever, whatever building they've been in. But Ajani says that they've been trapped for over an hour. And then just as they come down the tunnel, like they're in a building. And he says that one of the planeswalkers was, was, had their spark harvested, was killed by one of the Eternals. When the Eternal punched through the wall and grabbed her arm or his arm. I don't remember the, what the yeah. planeswalker was. Uh, but And then like as soon as they leave the building... Then the Eternals get in. That seems like a very like what? That's again, it's a cinematic thing. It's like oh, we have to make our make our dramatic escape as the walls are being battered down or whatever. It kind of oh, it just feels weird. Like if if the Eternals can punch through a wall, then surely they could have gotten through the doors of this place. Like even with planeswalkers holding them up or whatever. I don't know. A bit weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely trying to yeah, create that trouble. They got it. All right, they're going to leave. Oh, but they should leave at exactly the right minute, at the right time. They breached the doors. Yeah, it was injecting some more peril into the scene. As it was. Yeah, insert insert danger here. Yep. Uh, not too much really left to say about this chapter. Frasca busts out her Gorgon powers. Boom. Um, I like a... Uh, <laughs> it's so self-aware now. At the, at the end, she says, all across the city, the, the Gary are opening up pathways to safety for every Ravikin they can find. We are fighting Bolas's army and preserving life. And then, more for show than anything, she added with bitter sarcasm, you're welcome. My God damn it, Greg. <laughs> you just, I don't know, she folded her arms, looked away, and said, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Is that better? No, Al, I have to know about the bitter sarcasm. I, know, I, I, see, I like to think that every time I give any suggestions as to what Greg should do better, I wonder if like there are people who are like, no, Alan, you're wrong. I, it is better when it's spelled out. And maybe it is, you know, because it's. I feel like it's so much of what I learned about writing is telling me to not do all of these things. All of these things. Um, uh, yeah, my, my philosophy is if you do it right, people won't notice it's right. Uh, they, they'll just get the impression without realizing it. <laughs> but uh, maybe, maybe it all works fine, and I'm wrong. But uh, no, I, I can't doubt myself. Uh, this this is objectively bad, and uh, I got to I got to keep telling myself that. All right, shall we move on to? Uh, so let's go. We shall move on to Gideon. All right. Oh, and Gideon, this is this is a chapter we finally meet the hot, the very well, very hotly anticipated planeswalker named Wanderer. Ooh. And Wolf, are you happy to meet the Wanderer in the scene? I thought it was cool. Everyone is going. 
yeah, I thought it was cool that the Wanderer got a mention, but I kind of feel like she wasn't really described in the same way that I would have imagined based on like all the speculation that's going on. So like, it doesn't really feel like she's Emrakul, and I was I was on board with that. <laughs> I, I I did like that as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's I mean yeah we we, we this this is quite like uh, we get we get introductions to the Wanderer here, and this this chapter really is just a quick introduction to. Basically, an overview of all the planeswalkers and what they're doing, or a bunch of planeswalkers, what they're doing. It's really just checking in um, with what everyone is. Yeah, my my title for this chapter was I love it when a plan comes together, because it seems to all be, it's all coming up Millhouse. Oh, yes, this is great. This is a, everything's going well. Um, you know what happens after things go well? Maybe in, things go <laughs> in narrative theory. Not so well for a little while. Yep, either that or the book ends. Yeah, um, and then we can tell we're like sixty percent through the story, so maybe not not that. Maybe things will go poorly. Are we? But, um, are we in the dark middle chapter? I don't know where the fuck we are. Uh, <laughs> I think. Well, it's it definitely doesn't have that. Well, maybe it does kind of have that structure. I think. Yeah, I, I think I think this. It, I think this does strongly adhere to the react. I mean, it literally is fitted to the reacts, and those are the reacts of the react structure. Um, I think we just have to take the kind of the introduction and the introduction to the hero and that kind of section of the of this react structure to be like the first half of the book. The first half of the book is that. Um and then like the quest like only begins like at about the fifty percent mark. Um and uh yeah here we're in the everything's going well. This is our happy mon- this is our happy montage when the com- when the couple in the rom com are getting on well. It's happy music. Yeah before someone makes a horrible mistake that could have been solved with slightly better communication. Exactly. Uh, if only they communicated before us, and all of this could have been avoided. <laughs> he just wants to be understood. He like, <laughs> yeah. No, I swear, there's nothing between us. She's just a coworker. I swear. <laughs> uh, I, I I like this little mention of uh, Nahiri and Soren again. No, whole... he didn't get that. No. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I liked it because I liked it because I thought it was funny. Not because I think it's necessary. Yeah, yeah. Or adds anything to the story. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're right. No. It, it, it is. Uh, it is complicated. How it's, it's these are two characters who are set up. It's, it's one of like it's yeah. They, they, these have a very complicated backstory. Uh, Nihiri and Soren. It's very interesting. Um, but like it's so literally they're both here still kind of fighting their big you know, ages long grudge battle. Um, but that's all they're doing here is fighting each other, and like neither of them does anything independent of one another, and um. Yeah, uh, and they're like really, yeah, and it's and they're fighting literally just happens in the background. So uh, I just did a quick search there. So they're literally mentioned uh, four times uh, throughout the story. No, so they're really just mentioned three times throughout the story. Um, this is the second of the t- of the three times. Yeah, the the first time was when Nahiri was in the big planeswalker meeting, right, and she was kind of looking around to see if she could see Soren. Yeah, and then here we see them. Actually, yeah. We see them in full in full battle mode, which like when we saw this in the cards, it represented on a card. It was interesting because like when you see the card set, it's like okay, cool. Here's a bunch of little things that are happening uh, here and there, and it gives us little kind of windows into an overall kind of story or a battlefield or lots of things that are going on at the same time. And that feels like a cool way to experience the story. But when we see a thing like this just plopped randomly into the middle of a chapter in a, an actual continuous story that's supposed to be read as a narrative, 
I feel like it just doesn't work at all and it maybe should have just been left out or somehow they could be made relevant in some way. I'm guessing that they're not. Really- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so I'll just jump ahead and, and, and spoil another few chapters ahead. So first, this, this is the arc of the of the Hiri and, and Soren, right? So first of all, yeah, we get the introduction where Gideon meets her at the big meeting. Um, part one, Gideon meets her at the, part, at the meeting uh, and the, the Hiri is looking around, uh, looking for someone specific, all right? Uh, here, um, during during this uh, Gideon scene, it's like a, a battle scene happening, uh, you know, far away, uh, there's some distance away fighting atop a building locked in combat uh, with each other. All right, that's that's the second act, um, and then finally, uh, this happens in uh, chapter fifty-six. Um, whatever conflict between Sar and Markov and Ahiri had seemingly and thankfully been tabled for the time being, uh, Sar and tortured toward the heads of Eternals with fearsome strength. Nahiri shaped spikes out of stone, two and pale. Here you go, three or four at a time. Ah, oh, great. Can we do a control or like a search function in your in your Kindle or whatever for uh, three or four at a time? Uh, yeah, maybe it's three or four. Has, has always been three or four. Um, I feel like it has. There are, there are, or if, if yeah, so there are two search at a time. Okay, at a time. So yeah, there are two, three, or fours at a time. Um, um, at a time. So it's kind of oh. Or at, at a time and at once. Um, there are nine at a times. Too many. Yeah. I think I think it's really X or X uh, at a time is really the the, the ones that that are most offensive. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's very 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 repetitive. But um, yeah, so that's the extent of the conflict we see between Nahiri and Soren. And I know they can't cover everything. Um, this is literally just mentioned in the background, but like ah, uh, like it's I feel like yeah, there's so much just so many ways I want to re- completely tear this book apart and restructure it. We mentioned before about having Teo as like um the main character. Yeah, like a oh, tail having like all basically everything being through tails, tails eyes. But, like, what if um it was done that way? But there is us, you know, a once off Nahiri chapter where she's running through this battle trying to find Soren, we're getting her inner dialogue, we're getting thoughts, we're getting her feelings. Um, we get the reason why she's in conflict with Soren. She has no idea what else is going on. She doesn't know anything about the about bolus. She doesn't know anything about the 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 zombies. She doesn't know she can't leave, but she just knows Soren might be here. She has this kind of chapter long quest to find Soren. She finds Soren. They fight, um, and they some revelation happens, or they kind of basically something happens where they realize what's actually at stake with the wider battle, and they decide to put their conflict aside uh, for the time being to fight for Africa. And like that, that that would work very well. Like that could work very, very well as a one-off story. Kind of me thinking of this makes me think, yeah, what if like what if eighty percent of the novel was from Teo's point of view? And Teo is developed into a stronger character with a complex background or yeah, basically more dimensions and then and, and, and um the other twenty percent was maybe three or four one-off chapters from different point of views of different planeswalkers, all of them having their own kind of reasons why they're there or their whole their own little arcs, like you know, little short stories kind of put in the middle of the longest the larger arc of Teo and the fight for Africa. I mean, surely that's better, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that probably would be better. I also kind of think that just pulling this whole storyline out of the book would be good. What, the whole um, bonus invade in Africa thing? Yeah, just get rid of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I would like that. The Soren and the Hiri thing. But although now, now that... Yep. Right, so Ugin is like somewhat involved in this book. Like we haven't seen him since the first chapter, but I assume he's coming back into it at some point. And like Ugin, Nahiri, and Soren have a big history together, and that's yet to be resolved. And obviously, we know what happens at the end of this novel it means that it's unlikely to get resolved in the near future. I guess that's fine. Like wizards 
likes to leave little little hooks in their story that are unresolved that they can come back to later. So that's fine. But uh, I just feel like if you're going to put Soren and Nahiri into this book, into this place, into this storyline, uh, this battle that's happening, why not put something to do with Ugin in there and have some kind of a reckoning or a realization or something between them? Especially if, they're, if Nahiri and Soren can put aside their differences and work together and fight at some point. Like, why... Why is that happening off screen? Why is there no? Uh, I, I like their, yeah, it, I like their storyline, so I'm kind of uh, I'm a bit disappointed by this revelation that nothing is done with it. Yeah, it's great. It's so good. Yeah, it's such um because it's it's crazy how like in the way Nahiri is almost like an antihero and antagonist of the um of the Shadows Eldritch Moon arc that yeah, she's causing everything, but it's kind of you can sympathize with her why. Um, it was such an interesting kind of way to have an antagonist in a story. Uh, to be just someone who's just going to fuck shit up just because they're angry or um, they they want revenge and um, yeah and then when I saw the card of Nihiri and Soren fighting I'm thinking oh yeah this is a perfect opportunity to solve that arc to have them stop fighting each other to have them put aside the differences and realise that you know there's bigger things than you know thousand year old grudges um, but yeah it's, it's the way it's included here is almost like I mean even this chapter feels all like um, Greg had like a, a list of, of things that they cross off and it's like, yeah, gotta mention this character, this character, and this character. Uh, it is, it is just a box to get to size. Yep. Oh wow, and there's this, it's a very self-aware thing that. So yeah, we last saw Soren, he was stuck, he's trapped in a wall. Yep. Um, in in a trap. We don't know how he got out of it. And then Gideon just has this, <laughs> this line of internal dialogue, which says, "Hadn't somebody told him Markov was stuck in a wall?" Yeah, that's that's like, wait, who who would who would have told him? That is absolutely insane. Like who? would ever mention that yeah and it's because <laughs> I, I can't remember exactly what happened at the end of the initial story but like was anyone there when they got stuck in the wall i don't think so and then i feel like i mean i, I only heard memes about this i because i've read a part of the story but i feel like you know stuck in a wall is like presumably stuck in a wall is like a comical way of of saying what happened it's like saying um you know han solo being trapped in but whatever thing he was encased in 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 a in empire um was carbonite? Was that what it was? Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like oh, Han Solo was encased in carbonite, which is a very terrible thing to happen to him. Which can be kind of trivialized in a humorous way by saying oh, I got oh, Han Solo stuck in a brick. Um, yeah. So I imagine like that. Yeah, Markov being stuck in a wall is like saying Han Solo got stuck in a brick in a uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it feels like in universe the characters would uh, say that in a more of a. Uh dramatic or serious way like they'd say oh he was he was trapped somehow not necessarily the actual manner of his entrapment yeah exactly so it's um on, on this one was checking if i can find quickly find out what happens on the wiki um yeah so yeah they're, they're fighting in a markov manner um then oh okay it was actually i mentioned on the wiki as to what actually happened in terms of being stuck on a wall but um, yeah, presuming it's, it's kind of the combination of their fight on in the trad was yeah i think the two of them were in case in stone, um, no, just just Soren. Oh, is it okay? Just Soren, okay. Yeah, Nahiri, okay. She just in case in stone. Nahiri kind of like uh, I think they they fight and maybe neither can beat the other in terms of like sword play or whatever. But kind of Nahiri backs Soren into a corner or against a wall, and then because she's a lithomancer and she can control stone, she just makes the stone porous, and he kind of falls back into the wall, and uh, then she solidifies it again while he's. Uh, while he's just stuck there. And then for some okay. reason, he can't planeswalk either. 
I don't really know why, because he's inside the stone. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember the specifics, but definitely yep. he was stuck for a good while in a wall. Stuck in a rock, I think, was the meme. Yeah, stuck in a rock, yeah. I think it's, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so basically, yeah, the, war, the I think I'd be led to believe that maybe the, the, the interplanetary beacon was so strong, it pulled him out of the stone, brought it to Ravka, but um, I mean, the wiki doesn't seem so sure either. Uh, the wiki starts off to ward a spark arc for Soren by saying, apparently free from his stone prison. Uh, Soren was learned Ravnica, so yeah, it happened off screen, we don't know. Um, it's almost like these characters are just here for pure fan service. That is certainly a possibility. Yeah. I think there not much else happens in this chapter, right? There's not I don't think uh I don't think I wanted to say anything else about it. Yeah, no, I just I, I just have in my notes I just have in big letters, um uh the good guys are winning. Uh lads, lads, lads. Yeah. That's, that's basically that's, that's basically what happens in this chapter. It's like, yes, everything's going well. Uh, sorry, I just actually before we before we finish for today, I want to go back to the Vraska chapter and something that I forgot to mention, which was uh, you know that thing of where you're like watching a movie and then they say the name of the movie in the movie and you're like, ah, oh, this is the sign of a bad movie. Yes. Well, in here. Yes, in the Vraska chapter, she says her thoughts circled around endlessly. She wouldn't survive this war of the spark. Good God! And that's like. But she wouldn't even think of it that way. She was she not see it as being the war for sparks early on like what's happening. because uh, in this case it feels like the the name is more abstract. Like it's not really for one spark, right? It's for multiple sparks. Yes. Um oh, that is that is pretty bad. Some kind of suicide squad. <laughs> some kind of some kind of hot tub time machine. <laughs> well, I mean in some Oh, this is some kind of a this is this this Schindler, this is like some kind of a so you're saying you've made a Schindler's List of some sort to save all these Jews. <laughs> My favorite line. Oh, I mean, sometimes it's done in a in a tongue in cheek way, but yeah. Yeah, not the tongue in cheek. Tommy Sheen is. Oh, maybe Suicide Squad is supposed to be done in tongue in cheek. Maybe. Then maybe. So I don't know. Slightly self aware. I don't. I don't think this one is self aware though. I think this is genuine. Yeah. Just like, oh, it's the War of the Spark. Do do do. I feel. <laughs> Wars, wars don't really ever get a name, right? Until uh, unless they've been going on for years, or like in retrospect in history, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's um. I was reading this off today. I think there's some kind of a um, you know, there's like a meme of like a time traveler going back to you know 1915, uh, meets the soldier, and um, uh, the soldier says, the soldier says, oh, the time traveler says, oh, what's the crack? The soldier says, oh, I'm just busy fighting in the Great War. And then uh, the time traveler says, oh, you must mean World War One." And the soldier says, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, exactly, like that. Like if Vraska said out loud, this, the War of the Spark, would everybody be like, huh? What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, yeah, the naming of wars is something historians do. Um, On that very sad yeah, there was... Sorry, I'll say that again. On that very sad note, I think we will conclude today's podcast. Yes, war. What is it good for? War. Absolutely nothing. War never changes. Oh, it does not. Oh, and they say when you got a war of the spark, sometimes peace never starts. <laughs> that was terrible. That was pretty bad. Um, but uh, yeah, are, are, you, are you excited for a Chandra and Alar chapter next week? Oh God, can we skip it? No, because <laughs> you know why? I think I, I was pleasantly surprised by this Chandra and Alar chapter. Um, and uh, I will say this next Chandra chapter was so good. I'm 
pretty confident that Greg Weissman had nothing to do with it. What? Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Now I'm excited. Exactly, yeah. And, and uh, hopefully our, our readers are also, or our listeners are also excited. All right. Well, if you want to get in touch with us and give your opinions on this wonderful, wonderful piece of literature that we are reading, uh, you can tweet at us at Pages Uncharted. Al, you're doing the doing the du- yeah um, duty there, right? You're uh, I, I, the yeah, I, I was I was at an M- yes, I, I I'm doing the Twitter, but uh, I was at an MCQ over the weekend. I was telling people to listen to the podcast, but I couldn't find like I was by searching for Pages Uncharted, I couldn't find it, but um, I don't know why. Am I do I have this hidden or something? Pages Uncharted. Did I spell anything wrong? No. Um, well, yeah, no, we are at Pages Uncharted. Um, I think we we have very few followers. We're not we're not very active at the moment. Uh, we'll start start one. Supposed episodes up. I think I think to do because the page is so so inactive. We haven't been coming up in Google searches. Uh, but I will make sure we do come up in in future searches. Oh um, yeah, I, I'm getting that. Of, uh, I'm getting a lot of Uncharted the video game, which is fair enough. Yeah. Oh, is it too late to change the name of the podcast? <laughs> probably not. Probably is. I don't think so. I, I don't even know if people know why the podcast is called what it is. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is a, a conversation we should, have, we should have offline um, in terms of we can open ourselves up to read other very bad books, not necessarily match related if we have a different name. But No, no I mean, I think... The, it's to page. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, let's we, we can talk about it a little bit here on, on, on the podcast. Yeah. It's not super, like, inside baseball stuff, but I, I think it. I think the name is good um, and it, you know, is fine for doing any any book but uh i mean the reason that we have it is because the the magic stories the free magic stories before they became novels used to be called uncharted realms every every wednesday they were released and that was that was awesome that was the high point of magic story from for me um yeah definitely. we got the name from the book i don't remember if we did uh, ever talk about that on on the podcast maybe in the first week we said why it was called that yeah in the first episode we said why yeah yeah, yeah. um right. But yeah, so I mean, I, I think I, mean, I, I think once the Twitter is more active, it'll probably start showing up in, in searches. I guess I'm, I'm just comparing it to um, Skullcrack, which is a very unique name, which always shows up. Yeah, which is our which is our other Magic Hunting podcast. Yeah, multiple podcasts. We have many plates spinning all times. Oh yes. All right. Uh, well, yeah, we are. Well, that's gonna do it for us this week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.